0: Today on Clear Approach, we go over the new updates from the FAA on depression and CBD. Yep, this is going to be a popular one. All this and more coming up on the Mayo Clinic Clear Approach podcast, your home for aerospace medicine that matters. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Dr. Van, your medical co pilot, coming to you as always from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where the summer has definitely come in in full force. It's been really hot and muggy here for uh, a couple of weeks now. We've had a fair share of rain as well on top of that. So, of course, all of those normally enjoyable things that we do in the summer have uh, transition to being uh, less enjoyable or even frankly miserable, things like you know, walking the dog, going for a bike ride, or mowing the lawn, which is why my lawn is now like six inches too tall. The heat is also why I decided to take off recently from the airport at 7 a.m. versus 8 a.m. And yep, you heard me right, I am finally back in the cockpit and flying. Now it's been about six months since I've actually been in the cockpit as a PIC, so With that, uh, for this first flight, I booked some time with my good old instructor over at Great Plains Aviation in Rochester and uh, climbed into the SR-20 and headed off to uh, get uh, unrusty, so to speak. Fortunately, things came back pretty quickly from the get-go and uh, started off with just some simple maneuvers as always, doing some slow flight and some steep turns, and that went really well. And based on that, we decided to uh, head out to Austin, Minnesota to practice some touch-and-goes. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Austin, it's a pretty small town slash city, barely a city, maybe I could say, in uh, southeastern Minnesota. But despite uh, that size, it has a a nice airport there. Uh, The identifier is K-A-U-M, and it's a single-runway airport, Um, paved, and it's got a 5,800-foot length, so plenty of space to do some touch-and-goes with the, uh, the Cirrus. And the reason for that kind of airport there is that even though it's a small town, Austin is actually the corporate headquarters for Hormel Foods Corporation. And in fact, most of North America's spiced ham in a can, otherwise known as spam, is made in Hormel. Hence the town's nickname as Spam Town USA. You can even go to the Spam Museum there. And I've been there a few times um, with my kids. And actually, it's a, it's a quite interesting um, place. You get to see all the spam products from uh, around the globe. But no, there are no free samples. Um, anyhow, I digest. I was flying into Austin there because we thought, you know, usually there's not much going on there. And it's a good place to, to stay in the pattern. So I headed off in that direction and switched over to the unicom frequency and made my call, my position call, thinking that I would not hear anything else for the rest of the day. But boy, was I wrong. As soon as I finished making my position call, the radio just came alive with several other pilots who were heading in the same direction as I was all trying to get into uh, KAUM. And let me tell you, there was uh, some controlled chaos there. We were hearing all sorts of entries into the pattern, including left upwind patterns, entries, and so forth. Uh, I, of course, came down into the left downwind for the active runway off a 45-degree angle. Now, all this traffic was really surprising to uh, my instructor and and, uh, myself. We had checked the NOTAMs beforehand going to the airport, and didn't seem like anything was going on. That day, we were just happy that the airport was open, so we weren't sure what the heck was was happening here. But anyhow, it was so crowded, by the time that I uh, had touched down for my first go and uh, landed, I decided to do a taxi back, and by the time I got back to the hold short, two other planes had landed, and two other planes were on the base and final legs. Needless to say, this was not the most calm environment for someone to get back into practicing landings after being six months out, so... Uh, We just did one landing there and then as soon as I could squeeze back into the pattern, headed out and um, headed back home, back to Rochester where we did some few more landings which all went swimmingly. Now when we were taxiing back to the active runway, uh, I did see that there was some sort of event going on at the apron and a lot of people gathered there and so forth. And I still don't know exactly what it was. I'm not sure if I missed uh, some sort of pancake breakfast, probably something involving spam. And I've checked around on social media to see if I could figure it out. But still, uh, the answer eludes me. But I am going to try to keep better tabs on the events out there for uh, planning purposes. And also, it looked like a lot of fun and I, I do like my breakfast. And it was a good learning point. No matter how much planning you do, you can never eliminate the possibility of a surprise. And yes, I know that you are all wondering, I did have spam later on that day. I figured what better way to celebrate getting back into a can and flying through the air than enjoying meat in a can. For today's episode, I wanted to go over some of the recent changes that the FAA made to the Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners. Now, if you're not familiar with the guides, this is essentially the how-to book for aviation medical examiners. And actually, anybody can access it online by visiting the FAA website and or searching for the guides on your favorite web browser. One of the cool things about the guides is that it is essentially a living document, because the FAA does regular updates, sometimes even on a monthly basis, like Call of Duty on the Xbox. In the fact, the last two updates were on 62922 and 52522. Now some of the updates, uh, they can be kind of boring. For example, one recent update involved replacing the word "form in certain parts of the guides. Raw, But some other ones are more relevant to pilots, especially the updates over the past two months. First up, there is an update on depression. I know, an update on depression is not something I thought I would ever live to say when talking about the FAA. But check your TCAS for flying pigs because here we are. Like airplanes, depression can occur in a lot of different variations. For example, there is major depression, there's psychotic depression, and seasonal affective disorder. And like air traffic controllers, there are also different levels of severity among the depression types. The new FAA guidance deals with typically less severe forms of depression, specifically something called adjustment disorder with depressed mood and minor depression. All right, first up, what is adjustment disorder with depressed mood? I'm not going to dive all the way into the exact clinical requirements, but in a nutshell, adjustment disorder with depression is depression that is associated with an identifiable stressor, like a job problem, a new medical illness, marital issues, or looking at the price of used airplanes on controller.org. Also, this depression is greater than what would be expected for the stressor. And most importantly, the symptoms of depression resolve within six months of when the stress stops. Okay then, so what is minor depression? Well, that is depression with one to three other symptoms of major depression, that lasts for more than two weeks and causes significant problems you know, physically, mentally, at work, and so forth. The key factor here is that all the factors needed to diagnose regular depression, aka major depression, are not present. Now, before the guidance that came out in the last uh, two months, if you had any form of depression here, especially any form of depression that required treatment with a medication, you were pretty much guaranteed that you're going to have to go through the entire uh, process of evaluation with the FAA. And if anyone has listened to this podcast from the very beginning, you know that that process is very, very long. It involves very uh, intense uh, scrutiny by psychiatry, as well as some formal testing. But now fast forward to 2022, and there is some light at the end of the tunnel. So what's new? So let's say you had a really traumatic event, like, I don't know, you you lost your job after 20 years of of working somewhere. And, you know, you go through the normal process of of stress and adjustment with that for about two weeks. But even after that, you are feeling down, um, you're having trouble sleeping, troubles eating and so forth. So severe, in fact, that you decide to go get some help from your primary care doctor. And you get started on something like, oh, let's say Prozac or Zoloft. And you take that for about, I don't know, four months, and then things get better, and that's the, the last of it. Now, according to the FAA, if this kind of event happened more than five years ago, and the symptoms resolved within six months of the stressor going away, even with treatment, and that there has been no other episodes of recurrence, and no red flags like suicidal ideation or hallucinations, and there are no other complicating psychiatric conditions like substance abuse or anxiety, your aviation medical examiner can give you a medical certificate at the time of your evaluation without having to do any further workup. This may not seem like a big deal for many folks out there, but for anyone out there who is flying with a history of depression, you know how much of a change this is. Now, what if this episode happened less than five years ago, like it happened just last year? Well, the same requirements still apply. You know, you can't have um, symptoms lasting longer than six months, can't have any recurrence or something else going on. But in this scenario, you also need to provide your aviation medical examiner a document from your treating provider, describing your history and essentially stating that everything is going well. If we get that additional document, then yep, we can issue you a certificate at the time of your evaluation without any further workup. Now, what if you fall outside of these constraints? Like say you had depression twice or your symptoms lasted for a year or more or you also have a history of ADHD or something like that, well, you're back to the original plan. But at least this is a step forward, indicating that the FAA is making some changes to the way it looks at mental health conditions. All right, with that, let's go ahead and turn our attention to what everybody really wants to know about, what the FAA says about CBD, or otherwise known as cannabidiol. Now, I have a long history with drugs and alcohol. Well, okay, wait, no, no. I have a long history of helping patients with drug and alcohol issues, but full disclaimer, I am not a marijuana expert. But I can give some basics. So cannabidiol is one of hundreds of cannabinoids that are present in the marijuana plant. And it's also present in hemp. Cannabidiol, or CBD from uh, here forth, is typically not associated with any psychoactive properties, aka it can't make you get high like THC does. And if you've been anywhere but the airport uh, over the last two years, you know that CBD is everywhere now and is seemingly available for any kind of ailment. There's CBD for back pain, CBD for headaches, CBD for your dog, CBD for your car. And this is because the regulations involving CBD, which is typically coming from hemp, uh, have been relaxed in many states across the country. So what does the FAA say about CBD? Say you're a pilot and you're using CBD to uh, treat, I don't know, um, trouble sleeping. Well, CBD, according to the FAA, is in itself not disqualifying, meaning that just because you're using CBD doesn't mean you can't fly. That's the ultimate takeaway point for CBD. Now, what is more important and interesting, though, is that whatever you're using the CBD for could be disqualifying. So let's say you're using CBD to control seizures that you haven't told anybody about. Well, that's not okay. Now, that seems pretty straightforward, but there are uh, two important things that I think all pilots out there should know, especially those pilots who are using CBD. So first up cbd products you know like oils or edibles they are not fda approved or regulated there is actually an fda approved and regulated uh, cbd medication out there called um, epidiolex and that's actually used to help treat certain types of seizures but other than that it's pretty much uh, open range and you never really can be certain about what you are actually ingesting with some of the products that are out there. And the reason, of course, that I mentioned this is that we have seen that some products out there can actually also contain THC, the psychoactive cannabinoid, in addition to the CBD. Now, why does that matter? Well, what are the other hats that I get to wear here? Um, yeah, I've got a lot of hats here. I'm like a walking coat rack. But anyhow, uh, one of the other hats I wear here involves urine drug screens for employers. I basically am the guy that gets to review all of those drug screens when they are not negative and discuss with donors the results. Well, let's say you have to take a drug test for work, like when you apply for a new job or something like that, and you use CBD, and lo and behold, the drug test comes back positive for marijuana. Now, if you're in this situation, your first response is going to be, oh, well, I use CBD and maybe it had a little bit of THC in there and that's why it's positive. And that may be the truth. But unfortunately right now we also have no way of knowing if that's the truth or if someone is using marijuana recreationally or if they have a medical marijuana card and they're using marijuana uh, as well. So in the eyes of the employer or whoever is asking for the drug screen, all they're really going to see is that this is a positive marijuana test. And despite many states legalizing marijuana, it's important to remember that marijuana is still federally illegal. And employers, especially in safety sensitive industries like, let's say aviation, can decide to reprimand or not hire someone if they have a positive urine drug screen for marijuana. Now, I'm not a legal expert by any stretch of the imagination, so I think that there's going to be a lot of discussion around this issue as we go forward here in the country. But the takeaway point is that you want to just be really, really careful about using CBD. Uh, You want to make sure that the high that you are getting in your life is you climbing an aircraft up to 18,000 feet versus accidentally eating the wrong edible. well that's it for today's podcast i hope that you are surprised and happy that i was able to come back in two weeks versus like i don't know uh, two quarters of the year i'm trying to get these things out more frequently as uh, as i've mentioned before Remember that this podcast is an offshoot of our Mayo Clinic Clear Approach uh, teleconsulting service. So if you're a pilot out there and you've got some questions about your health and how it may affect your flight... You can actually go to the Mayo Clinic website at mayoclinic.org and search for Clear Approach in the search button there at the top, and that will take you to our services website. And there you can sign up for an account. And for a small fee, you can send our team of aviation medical examiners your question, and we'll get back to you in 24 to 48 hours. And of course, if you need an appointment after that, we give some instructions on how to get started with the aerospace medicine division here at Mayo Clinic. Until next time, this is Dr. Van, your medical co-pilot, wishing you great flying and even better health.